This morning we're going to consider abiding in Christ, John chapter 15, verses 4 through to 12. In this chapter 15, Jesus has already declared himself to be the true vine and his father the husbandman. We see that in verse 1. And he talks about two types of branches. There are branches that bear fruit, they are purged, and then they produce more fruit. And he's speaking about Christians savingly connected to him, the main stem. He also talks about other branches that bear no fruit, they're fit for the fire and nothing else. Today we shall consider abiding in Christ. That word abide, it means remain. We can see that in verse 11, in fact. Look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The Greek word that has been translated remain in verse 11 is the same word that's been translated abide in all the preceding verses. In fact, the word abide is mentioned no less than nine times in verses 4 to 10. Now, that to me, that's a lot. Nine times the word abide, just in those verses. So we're going to look at what it actually means to abide in Christ. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 again, first of all. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Maybe it's just the way I'm looking at it, I don't know. But if you're a Christian, then maybe you feel slightly uncomfortable, perhaps a little bit confused, maybe a little bit insecure with Jesus saying to you, abide in me or remain in me. And you're thinking, why is Jesus saying that to me? Abide in me. Because it's always been the teaching at this church, and I presume it's something that you would hold to, that if you're a Christian... You do abide in Jesus, and you always will abide in Jesus. There's no question of you not abiding in Jesus if you are a Christian. You're safe in his hand, in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're safe in his Father's hand now and forevermore. That's how you see it. And yet in these verses, we're being told... Abide in me and abide in you. Well, it's true and praise God that if you are a Christian, born again Christian, then you do abide in Jesus and you will always abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we read in these verses not, is not intended to dismantle or to contradict what Jesus has said elsewhere. Again, we can't just look at these verses in isolation of everything else. For example, if you want to keep your finger in verse uh, chapter 15 rather, just turn back a few pages to John chapter 10. 
I, I can appreciate you'll have forgotten a lot of what we've covered so far, but um, what we're going to look at in John 10 is something that's really worth committing to your memory. Look at John chapter 10, verses 27 through to 30. This is the chapter where Jesus is not saying he's the true vine, he's the, the good shepherd in this chapter. chapter. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You look at those verses, I've read those verses many times, I love those verses, but we need to look at the whole portion that I've just read there. And that includes chapter, verse 27 rather. I pretty much know verses 28 and 29 word perfect, but I'm a bit flaky on verse 27. But look at it there. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. These are the people who are safe in the hand of Jesus, safe in his father's hands. These are the sheep who will never perish. What do they do? They hear the voice of Jesus. He knows them and they follow him. But for our part, if we're Christians, we hear his voice and we follow him. This is what we do if we are safe in his hand. This is what we do as people who will never perish. People who have everlasting life. What do we do? We hear the voice of Jesus and we follow him. And where it says follow him, where Jesus says they follow me, I can only assume that he means we follow him in obedience. What else can it mean? So we hear Jesus through his word and we follow him in obedience as people saved by the grace of God through faith. These are distinguishing features of all who are new creatures, new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. They earnestly seek to live their born again lives listening to their great God and saviour Jesus Christ. And in joyful obedience to him, not religiously in order to secure their salvation, not in order to secure a place in heaven. They already have all of that. But with thanksgiving in their hearts for so great salvation that they have and that they have received from God, they submit to God's will with God's enabling grace. They hear his voice in the scriptures. With that understood, can you see, I'm back in John 15 now, with that understood, far from being contradictory, John chapter 15 verses 4 and 5 harmonise with the many other statements of the Lord Jesus Christ, such as we've just seen in John chapter 10. The branches that are savingly connected to Jesus Branches that are drawing on that grace continually, day by day. They will always abide in him and him in them. And they will bear fruit. 
There's no ifs or maybes. They will bear fruit. They are one and the same as the sheep that belong to the good shepherd. They hear his voice. They follow him. You can't separate the two. Jesus gives them everlasting life and they shall never perish. These are the branches that abide in him and him in them. That's what we read in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. That's not to say that these verses should not present a challenge to you. You are bound to ask yourself, as I'm bound to ask myself, am I really hearing and following Jesus? Am I? Am I really abiding in him? Am I really bearing fruit? These are questions for all of us to ask ourselves. Not all Christians bear the same amount of fruit, so don't go comparing yourself to everyone else, because you'll drive yourself crazy doing that. Just concentrate on your own walk with God, your own walk with Jesus, you hearing his voice, you following him as one of his sheep, as a branch abiding in him and him in you. Because not all fruit bears the same, sorry, not all Christians bear the same fruit. As Jesus said in the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13, some bring forth a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Experience and observation will show you to be the, that to be the case. You see it every day, don't you? If you do, not that you're busy watching other Christians, but you can't help but notice it. Not all Christians bear the same fruit. Not all Christians have the same level of Christ-likeness, shall we say. Nevertheless, it is reasonable to expect at least some fruit from all branches that are savingly connected to Jesus, who are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit and who are drawing on God's enabling grace. It is reasonable to expect at least some conformity to the image of Christ, a growing Christ-likeness in varying degrees. And that is how I see fruit, because ultimately I will unashamedly and without any apologies bring everything back to Jesus. Bearing fruit, bringing forth fruit, is bringing forth something of Jesus in your life. And that should be in every Christian to some degree or other. Let's have a look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Even though Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, I reckon that most, all of us can probably work out what's going on there, what Jesus was, is saying in that verse 6. How well do you know Jesus? You probably know that all who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins have been washed in his blood. They've been clothed in his righteousness, yeah? We all know that, or we should do. You hear it enough times in this church. And as we have just established, you know that all true Christians abide in Jesus. They are safe in his hand. They shall never perish. 
you know that he has gone to prepare mansions for his sheep in his father's house. You know these things. Look at the top of chapter 14. It's there. We've looked at it all. But did you know that Jesus also spoke about when he comes again in judgment? To some he will say, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's good, isn't it? That's really what by the, uh, thank God, that's what I, I'm, I, I'm going to hear from Jesus. I don't think I'm going to hear it. That's what I'm going to hear from Jesus. But to others he will say, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus will say those things. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. With that in mind, perhaps you can see that verse 6 contains a very solemn warning. Jesus was speaking about all who abide not in him. The true vine, they they will be cast into hellfire. Again, I appeal to you to examine yourselves to see if for all of your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you really are abiding in him and you really are bearing fruit, which is meat for salvation. Let's have a look at verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words in you abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will. And it shall be done unto you. Does that sound familiar? We have been there before. I was speaking to someone last Monday. Um, hasten to add, she doesn't. She never came to this church. She used to go to a similar church to this. She got fed up with the repetition. She got fed up with um, the pastor going through books. You know, starting at chapter 1, verse 1 and going through a book. Because inevitably you're going to get some repetition. Maybe we need that repetition. Maybe the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing when he put that repetition in the Bible. We've got some repetition here. Something very similar. Let's have a look at verse 7 again. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Let's keep our finger in there, and or with... Well, I don't even have to turn over the page. Look back at chapter 14 and verse 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Very similar, isn't it? When you look at chapter 14, verse 14, and chapter 15 and verse 7. Ask and Jesus will do it. Just ask. The difference is in chapter 15, he's speaking about abiding in him. If you abide in him, abide in him, ask and it shall be done unto you. Ask, in other words, pray for it and you will get it. When we looked at chapter 14 and verse 14, we saw that a Christian is someone who has already been blessed with what? With everything, really. Every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, everything. You know, I, I I don't think any of us really appreciate what we have if we belong to Jesus, if we abide in him. We have so much. Children of the almighty God. 
We've got everything in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have already received from your Heavenly Father spiritual treasures. You personally, each one of you Christians in here, has already received from your Father in Heaven treasures that are worth more than all the treasures of this world combined. That's no, that's not exaggerated language. What you have in Jesus far exceeds anything in this world. As such, amongst other things, those who abide in Christ, what can they ask for when they already have everything in Jesus? Well, you might ask for your daily bread. You might ask for forgiveness of sins as you continue to sin against your great God and Father who has already given you everything. You come to him with a heavy heart, a broken, contrite heart, and he forgives you. You might ask for more love for others. You might ask for a greater level of patience, a deeper joy, a greater Christ-likeness. But what you do not intentionally ask for is anything that is contrary to God's will or that is dishonouring to God. Whatever you ask for, you you think first and foremost, will this be honouring to God? Likewise, here in um, chapter 15 and verse 7, what you who are savingly connected to the true vine, abiding in the true vine, what you will ask for will inevitably be in accordance with the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be according to his will, and then, of course, it shall be done unto you, because you're seeking to glorify God. This is something that is clearly taught by the Apostle John in his first epistle, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where he said, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. But it's according to his will. A good way of asking what you will according to his will is if you don't pray with both eyes tightly closed, but you pray with at least one eye opened and looking at the scriptures when you pray. Then you might just pray according to the will. Let's have a look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That makes sense, doesn't it? A good tree brings forth good fruit. A bad tree brings forth bad fruit. And in Matthew chapter um, 7, Jesus was referring to prophets, real prophets, false prophets, and by extension, Christians. Genuine Christians and fake Christians, depending on the tree. A real prophet, a real Christian 
will be a good tree and produce good fruit. Okay. So, uh, that's the difference really between Matthew chapter 7 and what we see here in John chapter 15 and verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Well, who's the tree in this verse? Or the vine, shall I say? It's not a prophet. It's not just some Christian, whether he's a real Christian or not. It's Jesus. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Well, the the tree is Jesus. He's the vine and he is the sinless Son of God. So if you are attached to that vine... If you are a branch in that vine, you must inevitably bear good fruit. There's no question of you, as a Christian, bearing no fruit or bad fruit, rotten fruit, evil fruit. Why? Because you are a branch in the vine that is Jesus. You abide in him, he abides in you, and you bear good fruit. To the glory of God. Verses 9 through to 12. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. In verse 9, Jesus said, As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. What does that mean? That's, that's quite something. I mean, how great is the Father's love for his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because however great it is, Jesus is saying, That's my love for you. That's, that's a myth. And we've got some uh, statements, some declarations in the Bible that give us some idea of the love of God for his son. Some declarations from heaven. For example, when the Lord Jesus Christ was baptised in the Jordan, there was that voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And upon the Mount of Transfiguration, where the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Both occasions, this is my beloved Son. We also have a picture of the Father's love for his Son in John chapter 1 and verse 18, where it is written, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. So in that verse, John chapter 1 and verse 18, the Son of God is depicted as being in the bosom of his Father. But does that remind you of something? You've got that picture in John chapter 1 verse 18 of Jesus in the bosom of his Father. It ought to remind you of something. We looked at it not so long ago. The disciple whom Jesus loved, Leaning against Jesus. Look at John chapter 13, verse 23 to 25. This was at the Last Supper. John 13, chapter chapter 13, verse 23. 
Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? That's a that's another picture of that closeness, that intimacy, that love of Jesus for a disciple. Maybe for you, if you belong to him, if you abide in him and he abides in you. It's a tremendous love, isn't it? And it's not dissimilar to the love that we read of in John chapter 1 and verse 18 with Jesus in the bosom of his father. Make no mistake about it. The love of Christ for those who abide in him is an everlasting love. It's a Calvary love. It's a dying love. It's a love that this world knows nothing about. Nothing at all. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul said about that love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written... For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love of God was clearly demonstrated on the cross where Jesus was wounded for the transgressions of his sheep or his branches and he was bruised, he was crushed for their depravity. Last of all, in verse 9 Jesus said, Continue ye in my love. Let's have a look at it again. As the Father have loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Now, don't think for one moment that our salvation becomes conditional upon us keeping the commandments it's not as if God is looking down from heaven ready to throw us into the fire as useless branches if we do not keep the commandments of God look at it in verse 9 again as the father have loved you uh, loved me so I have loved you continue ye in My love, and I thank God that it is the love of Jesus and not my own fickle love. (laughs) And all of you who are branches in the true vine, you, 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 you can be thankful that Jesus is speaking about his love there. The love that I've just mentioned, that Calvary love. And the love that Paul spoke of when he said, nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing, nothing in heaven, earth, anywhere, nothing. Principalities, power, nothing can separate us. So again, we can't overlook these other verses. Let's continue to look at this. We've got, our love is fickle. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But the love of Jesus 
is pure. It's an everlasting love. And you who abide in him and him in you, you will continue in that love. He's not going to get fed up with you. He's not going to get bored with you. Verse 10 brings us back to the inseparability of abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, obedience to God, and we can add to that mix the love of God. Or perhaps we can surround it all with the love of God. They are all bound together, bound in that love of Christ. If you really are a sinner saved by grace, you will keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will abide in the everlasting love of the incarnate Son of God, even as he has kept his Father's commandments and abides in his Father's love. You will do these things if you are a branch abiding in Christ. You will keep his commandments. There's no, there's no question that you won't. However, what this verse is not saying is that all who abide in the love of Jesus are to show that to be the case with a completely sinless obedience to God's laws. Don't, don't go, don't get stressed thinking that you need to be obedient to God's laws in order to show yourself to be abiding in Christ and to be the recipient of his love. That's not what is being said here. Never forget that it is precisely because you would not and you could not keep God's commandments that on your behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ, he lived a a sinlessly perfect life in obedience to God on your behalf, a life that you could not live, you would not live because you loved the darkness rather than the light and by nature you are a child of wrath, a child of Adam until by the grace of God Jesus saved you by his grace and he made you a son of God. To them gave he the power to become children of God to them that believe on him and receive him. And Jesus, he laid down his life, he shed his blood to make atonement for your souls. He did this at the cross because you are a a law breaker. So am I. And if you are a Christian, you will know, even if you've been a Christian for 20, 30 years, 40 years or more, you will know that you need Jesus just as much now as you ever did. And your acceptance before God is today and ever will be in his beloved son. You're under no illusions, are you? Even as a branch abiding in Jesus, him in you, abiding in his love, you know that your acceptance before God will always be in the beloved son. However... Abiding in the love of Christ, keeping his commandments, are seen in a love towards even the least of the brethren. It's a practical love that feeds them when they are hungry. This is what Jesus is talking about here. A practical love. It feeds them when they're hungry, it gives them a drink when they're thirsty. It gives them some clothes to wear when they're naked. 
a love that visits them when they're sick or in prison. A doing love. We see that so clearly to be the case in verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That is not a religion of works. It's Rather, it's about abiding in Christ. It's about abiding in his love. It's about bearing fruit. It's about increasing in Christ's love, being conformed to his image. That's what it is. Hearing and doing the words of your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, they follow me. Bearing fruit and more fruit, all to the glory of your God and Saviour. May that be the reality for all of you who profess faith in us. Amen.